Well, if you have a Bible, please take it and turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. We have been working through a series on, intim- on family and on the importance of the home and what the home is. And we've talked about the purpose of the home. We've talked about gender. We've talked about marriage. And now we've come to this very, very important week where we're going to talk about real intimacy, real intimacy. So I want to just again echo what's already been said a couple of other places. This is going to be a message this morning where we're going to talk about sex and what sex is and how it's important. So parents, if you're here today with kiddos who you've not had that conversation with, I just want you to know I'm about to go there. Okay, so if you've not gone there yet, I'm about to do it for you. So um, I just want to say again why we're doing this. Uh, It is not just for shock value or because we're trying to rattle your cage. It is because we believe where God speaks, we should speak. And because God is speaking about this important part of our lives and who we are, we've got to speak. I also think it's important that we recognize that our culture is seriously, seriously confused about this topic. We need God's word to speak clearly and powerfully about sex and intimacy. So with that said, would you please stand with me to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1. Proverbs 5, verse 1, we read these words. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen closely to my understanding so that you may maintain discretion and your lips safeguard knowledge. Though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oil, in the end she's as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps head straight for Sheol. She doesn't consider the path of life. She doesn't know that her ways are unstable. So now, sons, listen to me and don't turn away from the words from my mouth. Keep your way far from her and don't go near the door of her house. Otherwise, you will give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. Strangers will drain your resources and your hard-earned pay will end up in a foreigner's house. At the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed and you will say, how I hated discipline and how my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my instructors I'm on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. Verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams in the public squares? They should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Why, my son, would you lose yourself with a forbidden woman or embrace a wayward woman? For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes, and he considers all his paths. A wicked man's iniquities will trap him, and he will become tangled in the ropes of his own sin. He will die because there is no discipline and be lost because of his great stupidity. This is the word of the Lord. This is God's holy infallible and inerrant word to us. Let's pray together. Father, as we open your word this morning, 
every every week, God, when we open your word, we are wanting to speak. We are wanting you to speak to us. But Lord, I pray in a powerful and clear way that you would address this topic today from your word. God, I pray that the light of your word and the power of your spirit would pierce the darkness that many of us are in this morning. I pray, Lord, as you speak to us today, that, God, we would not just be hearers, but doers of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Most of us watched in horror over the last three or four months as fires raged all over the continent of Australia. Millions of acreage was burned and lost. Thousands of homes were destroyed. There are even countless lives that were lost in fighting this fire. It was an incredibly dangerous, incredibly tragic circumstance. And while much of that was caused by dry climate conditions and wind, what you may not know is that many of those fires actually started as controlled burns that ranchers and farmers had done on their own land. They had actually started the fires themselves, had planned to keep them contained, but because of the dry conditions and the wind, those fires that were meant to be contained uh, were unleashed all over that continent. You know what that's like in your home. Fire has a particular place. Where I want fire, my home is in the fireplace. The problem, of course, is if fire gets out of my fireplace and into my house, it can burn my entire house down. Now, here's what I want you to see. God has designed sex and intimacy in a particular way. And just like that fireplace, God has designed sex and intimacy to happen exclusively in the fireplace of a marriage between a man and a woman for life. The danger is when we let sex get out of the fireplace and into our homes. And what this passage is going to do this morning is it's going to warn us about ever letting sex outside the fireplace of marriage between a man and a woman for life. Proverbs 5 is a conversation between a father and a son about sex. And what he's going to do is he's going to offer us four warnings about counterfeit forms of intimacy. He's going to warn us about four ways we might be tempted to let the fire get out of the fireplace and into our homes. But here's what I want you to see. The same warnings that this father is going to give his son about these counterfeit forms of intimacy are still the type of warnings we need to hear today. And so here's the idea that I want to really kind of guide our time together. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is the main idea that sums up this passage. Because God's design for intimacy is good, reject counterfeit intimacy. Because God's design in the fireplace for sex is good and right for us, leave it there. Don't bring it out. Reject any form, any vision of sex or intimacy that would ever see sex coming out of that covenant between a man and a woman for life and marriage. 
Let me show you four ways this passage unpacks these counterfeit forms of intimacy we're called to reject. Number one, we're called to reject sex as consequence-free. Number one, this passage calls us to reject sex as consequence-free. Now, the first two verses, he's talking to his son. He's talking about wisdom. But notice verse 3 as he talks about the allure of sex outside of marriage. Verse 3, though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oil. Now, you can take the idea of this adulterous woman. You could put an adulterous man. Make those the same. This adulterous woman represents any form of sexual experience outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And what the writer of Proverbs is saying is these sexual experiences, this temptation to take the fire out of the fireplace looks good. It looks exciting. It looks appealing. It looks like it will be fun. He talks about her words are smoother than oil. Her words are like honey. It looks good. But what he's warning us about is that while it looks good on the surface, while it may look fun, while it may look exciting to engage in sex outside of marriage, it actually destroys us. Look at what he says in verse 4. In the end, she's as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her Her steps head straight for Sheol. She doesn't consider the path of life, and she doesn't know that her ways are unstable. The problem is these counterfeit forms of intimacy, any kind of sex outside of marriage may look good, but it actually destroys us. Though sex outside of marriage may look fun and exciting and attractive, what in reality it does, it has a hook inside it. And it's a hook that once we bite down, it pulls us in. And this is what I want you to hear. This passage is saying, this is passage is saying is that while all sin has consequence, sexual sin is particularly deadly in its consequence. Because while, sex, while all sin has consequence, all sin is something God hates, sexual sin in particular has a way of hooking us, pulling us in because of the pleasure it offers us and enslaving us. Listen to what Paul says. Flip in your Bibles. We don't normally do this, but I want you to go here. Flip to 1 Corinthians really quick. Flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 very quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. I want you to see what he says. Sexual sin, while is a sin just like anything else in God's eyes, it does have a particular consequence we need to be wary of. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, listen to it. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says this. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price So glorify God with your body. Paul is clearly saying what Proverbs are saying. Sin is sin in God's eyes. But when I take the fire out of the fireplace, when I engage in any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman, 
I'm inviting destruction and harm in my life because different than any other sin, sexual sin is particularly harmful to my body. When I was pastoring in Missouri, the communities that we were in had a significant problem with meth, crystal meth. It was a drug problem that was ravaging our community. And uh, if you've ever seen what that does to people, it's incredibly, incredibly sad. Uh, One of our good friends was a dentist in our community who worked on a lot of people's teeth, and he had the privilege of working in the community for a long time. One of the saddest things to hear him recount was working with people that he'd he'd known for a long time and seen for a long time who'd gotten on crystal meth, and he saw what it did to their teeth, and he saw what it did to their face, and he saw what it did to their lives, and it just absolutely destroyed them. It's a massive problem in the community I was in up in Missouri. But you know what I would observe about that? No one... No one typically wakes up in the morning and says, I think I want to get addicted to meth. I think I'd like to set out to addict myself to this substance and destroy my life. Nobody does that. What happens is that, that experience with that drug offers a quick form of pleasure, a quick form of excitement and exhilaration that hooks a person that gets them enslaved to that drug so that it actually leads them down the path that destroys them. What the writer of Proverbs is saying is that when, when I give in to sexual temptation, when I let the fire out of the fireplace, I'm experiencing a form of pleasure and excitement that hooks me, that pulls me in, but it leads me down a path that destroys me just like that drug. What you and I need to clearly understand is that sex outside of marriage is sin, but it's a particularly dangerous sin that is not free of consequence. So parents, let me challenge you to do something with this, okay? One of the things we must do as we train our children is we must help them understand that what our culture is saying about sex is wrong. What our culture is saying about sex is that it's just an appetite. It's just another bodily function that when you feel like you should do it, you should just give in and do it. And what our children are being told today, this very day, is that if they hold back those sexual desires, they're going to experience psychological harm. This is the view that's prevalent in our culture. If to, what's, what's wrong, what's going to hurt you is if you hold back those desires. And I just want to clearly say from God's word, what this is saying is the danger doesn't come on holding holding back. The danger comes when you just let go and engage in sex outside of marriage. Don't miss. Sex does have a particularly dangerous consequence because it's a form of pleasure that hooks us and pulls us in and destroys us. Number two, we also see in this passage that we should reject sex as just physical. We should reject a view of sex that sees it as nothing more than physical. Verse 7 and 8, he warns his son about going anywhere near this adulterous woman, about going anywhere near sex outside of marriage. And then verses 9 and 10, he gives us this truth. He says this, Otherwise, if you let the fire outside the fireplace, otherwise you will give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. And strangers will drain your resources and your hard-earned pay will end up in a foreigner's house. 
What's in view here is that when you engage in sexual activity, you are giving of yourself to someone else. See, to have sex with somebody else is to connect with them in such a way that you're not just connecting physically, you're also connecting emotionally. And I would even say what the scripture teaches is you are connecting at a spiritual level with another person. And the reason that's such is because what the Bible teaches is that in Genesis, all the way back there when God first brought Adam and Eve together, he described their union, you'll remember, as the two becoming one flesh. That is massive in its implication because what it's teaching is in order for this union to happen, in order for this physical exchange to happen, there's also a sharing of yourself. There's a vulnerability that you're entering into when you have sex with somebody else that shares a piece of who you are. So I used to use this analogy when I was a college pastor with college students a lot, but if you can imagine your soul like a bag of grapes, imagine that you have this bag of grapes in front of you that represents your soul. Every single time you engage in sexual activity, you're handing a grape to a person. You're handing a piece of who you are to someone else. And what he's warning us against, he's warning us against any view that would see sex as just physical. See, our culture says there's no spiritual, there's no emotional damage that's done through sex. It's purely physical. That's a lie. That's not true. When you have sex with someone else, any form of sex, you are sharing yourself with them in such a way that you're connecting a piece of who you are to them. So here's the principle. Sex is the most uniting act God has created on the face of the earth. Sex is not meant to just be a pleasure-filled act. It's meant to be a uniting act. Flip that around. Marriage, therefore, is the only place that sex should happen because marriage is the mechanism that commits to people to the loyalty and trust and faithfulness you need to share yourself with someone else. See, the reason we're saying to you, don't have sex outside of marriage, is not because we're trying to keep you from fun. It's not because we're trying to keep you from happiness. It's because marriage is the only place, it's the only place where you're looking at someone else and saying, I'm committing to you for better or for worse. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to love you in sickness and in health. All those vows that we make to each other when we're married, that's the only place that provides the foundation upon which you can have that kind of intimate sharing of yourself with someone else. When you have sex with somebody who's not your spouse, when you engage in sexual activity with somebody who you're not married to, You're putting on them a burden of trust they've not proven that they can keep. I know we have a lot of Baylor fans in the room here, a lot of Baylor alums. I know most of you were watching this past year as your coach uh, took the money and ran. Baylor coach took a multi-million dollar deal to become the new head coach of the NFL team, Carolina Panthers. Baylor fans were torn on this because he was so successful, but they understood sometimes you can't say no to an offer like that, right? What's interesting, if you look at professional football, 
there's been mixed reviews on college coaches doing well in the pros. Uh, most famous is probably Nick Saban, who's been a very successful college coach who had, as at, I think at best, you could say an average NFL career with the Miami Dolphins. And what I would just observe about that is that the Carolina Panthers are putting millions and millions of dollars on the line with the hope that this coach from Baylor can actually deliver a really good team. But what I want you to see is what this passage is warning us about is when you have sex outside of marriage, you're not just putting millions of dollars on the line with somebody. You're putting your soul on the line with another person you don't know you can trust. This is why sex outside of marriage wreaks so much dysfunction in relationships. This is why having sex before you get married can create all these complications in your relationship. It's because you're moving your relationship to a place that's not yet arrived. You're asking for a level of commitment and trust and loyalty that person has not proven and committed to keeping. Marriage doesn't, and the reason that's important, church, is because marriage doesn't just provide a commitment to you. If you adopt a biblical understanding of marriage, that person is also committing to love you before God. Please remember that marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. Marriage is a covenantal union you're entering before God and your spouse. I'm not just committing to love Shelly just to Shelly. I'm committing to be faithful to her because I'm also saying to God, I'm going to honor you and obey you in the life of this woman. What that means is, if you right now are engaging in sexual activity outside the fireplace of marriage, can I just, with everything in me, ask you to stop? Turn around. Run away. If you're single, break up with that person. End that relationship. If you're married and you're engaging in sexual activity with somebody that's not your spouse, stop that. Cut that off. If you're engaging in any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage, you are uniting yourself to someone who's not professing the loyalty and faithfulness that you need in order to share yourself with them. Let me also make this observation. For those of you that are married, because sex is such a unifying and committing act, if there are problems in your marriage, they will show up in your physical relationship and sex. There's this constant pull back and forth in marriage between men and women. And there's usually arguments about frequency issues with guys. And this is what I want to say to the men in the room. If you are frustrated men with your physical relationship with your wife, understand that before you're going to have a great physical relationship with your wife, you have to have a great emotional relationship with your wife. Sex is not just physical. And so much of the frustration, even in Christian homes, in Christian families is because we don't understand that it is more than just a physical connection. Number three, we also see in this passage that sex is not just physical. We should also thoroughly reject sex as dirty. Dirty. Now, let me unpack that uh, word with a story. When I was pastoring in Missouri, we had some vandalism done one Saturday night. And they had taken spray paint and written profane words and Whatever, But one of the phrases that they wrote on our bus barn was, I love sex. 
And I went out in the parking lot. I had a couple of my older deacons with me. And we were looking at this, I love sex. And they were both kind of turning red. We're standing there kind of kicking at the ground a little bit. And I said, you know, guys, I think we should just leave that up there. They got a little nervous. And I, they said, well, Pastor, why would we leave it up there? It says, I love sex. And I said, well, because we believe that. We believe sex is good. And, and what's happening is there's some vandals, some vandals running around in our community that think we don't like sex, that we think it's bad, that we are some kind of prudes or we think it's ugly or yucky or dirty. But the reality is what the Bible doesn't teach is that sex is something that we're not supposed to enjoy. What the Bible teaches is that sex is something we're supposed to enjoy according to God's plan and purpose. So he's going to say in this passage, avoid multiple partners in sex. Look at verse 15 through 17. He says, drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams in the public squares, they should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. In other words, we should abandon the idea that fulfillment in sex is going to come from having a lot of different sexual experiences. There's this view in our culture that says, if you really want to be a man, if you really want to be somebody that matters, it's going to show up in how many sexual conquests you've had. Wilt Chamberlain, the famous NBA basketball player, was famed to have said he had over, sex with over a thousand women. And there's a part of our culture that stands up and applauds and says, wow, that's incredible, that's great, that's exciting. But that's exactly the opposite of where you're going to find real fulfillment. You don't find real sexual fulfillment in a breadth of experiences. Look at what he says instead in verse 18 and 19. Where should we go? Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife or the husband, as it may be, of your youth. A loving deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Why, my son, would you lose yourself with a forbidden woman or embrace a wayward woman? What he's saying is real fulfillment physically doesn't come from a breadth of experiences. It comes in a depth of experience with your spouse. Not breadth, lots of different people. It shows up, real fulfillment shows up in finding the person God has for you and spending your life with them. Now, to be clear, he uses some pretty graphic language. And this is the language, if you're reading this passage with middle school boys, they typically chuckle, okay? Some of you still may have some middle school boy in you, all right? And that's all right. But what verse 19 is talking about in this graphic language is that husbands and wives should enjoy this. He says specifically, be lost in her love forever. If we're going to go back to the fireplace analogy, what that means, as one author said, I read this past week, get the fireplace as hot as you possibly can to enjoy the pleasure that God has given you through this. You're to enjoy it with your spouse and no one, no one else. Not a breadth of experiences, but a depth of experience. This is the principle that's underneath this, okay? Listen carefully. There is a form of pleasure God has called us to enjoy. But there's an alternate, a counterfeit form of pleasure that if we give ourselves to it, it destroys us. 
So I think it was on about eighth grade, one morning before school, my dad pulled into a gas station to get some gas, filled up the tank. We got down the road about five or 10 minutes and his, the car started to make this really, really funny noise. And so we pulled over and my dad had to get a tow truck. The tow truck came and what we discovered was the gas station where he had filled up, they had a problem with their tank under the ground. Some mud and some water had seeped into the tank. And when my dad took the muddy water gasoline and put it into his car, it destroyed his engine. Absolutely, he had to have a brand new engine put in the vehicle. Thankfully, he saved his receipt. Got to go back and the gas station helped us out with that. But in a similar way, what I want you to know is you've been designed to operate on a particular form of pleasure, of experience with God. The particular form of pleasure you're meant to live on and function on is pleasure according to God's plan. But when you and I reject God's plan, when we take the fire out of the fireplace, we pour gasoline into our souls that destroy us. You and I were not meant to function on a form of pleasure apart from God's plan. We were meant to form on a form of pleasure that comes within and underneath God's plan. So this is important because I know, I know right now it's a little tense in here. I can feel it. It's a little tense talking about this, but I, I want you to hear me, church. Listen, if we don't talk about this, if we don't go there like we're doing right now, we're going to raise a generation of people that think we think sex is bad. We're going to raise generations of people that, that all they hear from us is, no, don't do this and don't do that, and then celebrate what you don't do. What we've got to say is behind every no from God is a better yes. And the yes God has for us in his word is this glorious enjoyment of what he's created for us in sex inside the covenant of marriage. So this is a total repudiation of the cultural view that sex is nothing more than personal fulfillment or personal expression. The sexual revolutionaries in our country that are with every day becoming more and more aggressive are telling us that all sex is is really about you expressing yourself. And so the LGBTQ spectrum that we hear so much about in our culture is really grounded in this idea that to, to be human is to be sexual. To express your sexuality is the core fundamental part of who you are. And what I want you to hear from me today as your pastor is that we do not think lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgenderism is sin just because we're trying to keep people from things. We're not against people's happiness. The reason we think that spectrum is wrong is because it actually invites harm into your life. And so listen to me, if you're here today and you're struggling with same-sex attraction, if you're here today and you're confused about who God's made you to be as a man or a woman, we want you to know Jesus has an answer for that. And the answer Jesus has for you, if you're here today and you're feeling that way, is not that you're a freak. It's not that you're some weirdo. Every single person in this room listening to the sound of my voice is broken. 
The question is not whether you're broken. The question is in what way is the brokenness in your life coming out? And so if you're here today and you're struggling with some of those things that are hot-button cultural issues, we want you to know that Jesus loves you, that he died for those things, but he did not die so that you could give in to those desires and celebrate them. He died to protect you from those things. So our call and our appeal to you is that we don't believe sex is dirty, that we don't, we're not prudes that think sex is something icky, we can't talk about it. Goodness sakes, I'm 32 minutes in and I'm still talking about it. And I got a few more minutes to go, okay? We believe that sex is something good God has made for us, but we have to follow it according to God's plan and purpose. Number four, fourthly and finally, we've got to reject sex as secret. We've got to reject sex as secret. Look at verse 21. It says, For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes, and he considers all his paths. A wicked man's iniquities will trap him and he will become tangled in the ropes of his own sin. He will die because there is no discipline and be lost because of his great stupidity. There's this idea that sex doesn't really affect anyone around me. If it's just me, if it's just something I'm doing, nobody else knows about it, it doesn't really matter. But the writer of Proverbs wants us to see as he's rounding this out is that God sees that thing you're doing right now in the darkness that you think no one knows about, that no one sees, that no one's aware of, know this, God sees you. God sees what you're doing in the darkness. This passage says that not only does God see you, that ultimately our sin finds us out. Our sin ultimately entangles and destroys us. And I don't want to preach an entire message on sex without talking about this topic because it's important. So I'm about to go here. This is a direct challenge to pornography. Pornography is a multi-billion dollar a year industry. The website Fight the New Drug, which I would encourage all of you to check out, has sobering statistics about what pornography is doing to our culture. You do know that there are some states today that are issuing a public health crisis about pornography because they're seeing what it's doing to people. According to the website Fight the New Drug, in 2015, one pornographic website, one, had 4.3 billion hours of viewing. 4.3 billion in one year, one site. Millions of users every day. The reality is that while many of us who may be addicted to pornography think that it's not affecting anyone around me, it's not really even affecting me. What the research is clearly showing is that the truth of God's word is true. Pornography is actually rewiring people's brains, the pleasure center of their brains. More importantly, what pornography does to us from a biblical standpoint is it desensitizes our soul to the value of a human being. The reason pornography is so dangerous is it turns a person into an object. And the minute you start believing people are objects you can use and discard, you are so searing and desensitizing your soul to the truth of God. You could be scared. I'm scared of what we'd be capable of as a culture and as a society. If there are right now some of us that are in that spot, 
And in a room this size, there are. My encouragement and challenge to you is to know, know, number one, that God does see you. But also know that what you're doing is a trap that's going to destroy you. Because God's plan for intimacy is good, reject the idea that sex is consequence-free. Reject the idea that sex is just physical. Reject the idea that sex is dirty. And reject the idea that sex is secret. But I want to close a little bit different way. Um, There may be some of you here who through some point of this message said, I have blown it. I'm addicted to pornography. I'm having an affair. My wife doesn't know. There's something from my past I'm ashamed of that's happened And through this message, all you've felt is shame and guilt and condemnation. I want you to know this passage, to let it speak, I had to let it speak. It's a warning. It's a challenge. It's a flashing red light. You're going the wrong way. But I want you to understand this. If you have blown it, there is healing and restoration in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not think that because you've blown it in this area that you're knocked out of being used by God in a powerful and a profound way. There's some of you here today that maybe feel that way. You may feel like there's no way out. You're stuck, you're trapped, you can't get out. Can I just say to you, we do believe Jesus can bring real healing to your life. But the only way that happens is if you move out of the darkness and bring those things into the light. Some of you today need to bring your addiction to internet pornography into the light. For some of you, that might mean if you're a child living in your parents' home, you need to sit down with your parents and explain what's going on in your life. This is where I'm at. This is what's happening. Parents, for some of you, that means you need to Redouble your efforts to think about what you're doing as far as internet access and screens go in your home. It is so easy, parents, if you've not caught this yet, it is so easy. You don't even have to be trying hard anymore to find internet pornography. So easy. There may be some of you that are married today that need to bring some things into the light. That you need to have an open, honest conversation about what's going on. As long as you stay in the darkness, two things happen. You're deceived from what's really going on, and you don't see the way it's affecting the people around you. When you bring your sin and my sin, when we bring it to the light, we see it for what it really is and how it's really hurting our homes. Here's the good news. When you and I move from the darkness to the light, there's healing and restoration Jesus offers for us. Tim Keller in his book on marriage tells the story about a a Russian czar who had a faithful soldier in his army who died leaving an orphan son behind. And this Russian czar loved this soldier so much that he adopted his orphan son as his own. He raised him as his own adopted son. He was a son of the king. But because of his privilege and his position, the son 
became addicted to alcohol. He was addicted to gambling. He followed his father's footsteps, went into the army. But because of his addiction, he used money that he was responsible for in the army for his own alcohol and gambling habit. And one evening, he was in his tent on the battlefield, looking over the books, recognizing that he was about to be discovered. He was about to be discovered for stealing money that had been entrusted to him. So he pulled out his gun to kill himself because he didn't want to, he wanted to avoid the great shame that not only he would bring on himself, but he would bring on his adopted father. But because he was so drunk, he couldn't get the gun to his head and he passed out and he fell asleep in his tent. That night, the czar was walking through the battlefield, dressed as a common soldier, as was often his custom. Wanted to see what his men were saying, wanted to see what the spirit was like. And he was walking through the battlefield, he was walking through his camp, and he saw his adopted son tent open, and he walked in to find him passed out drunk with a gun in his hand. He looked at the book, and he realized what his adopted son had done. The next morning, the son woke up, and he found a letter sitting on top of the ledger. And here's what it said. I, the czar, pay the difference reflected in this book in its full amount out of my own personal fund. And on that letter was stamped the imperial seal. What I want you to know is that every one of us are just like that adopted son. We're found in our own tent guilty because we've lied, we've stolen, we've lusted, we've given ourselves over to sexual sin. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus walked through our camp. He became one of us. And when he saw our ledger, when he saw our problem, he didn't leave us to ourselves. He paid our debt. But listen to me, he didn't pay our debt just out of money he had laying aside. He paid our debt by going to the cross taking the penalty and punishment that we should have been given for our sin. And when he rose again, when he rose again from the dead, he put an imperial seal with his blood and said, if you turn from your sin and trust me, you can be forgiven. If you're in the darkness this morning in sexual sin and sexual addiction, bring that to the light. Before the day is over, before this day is over, have that hard conversation. Have that difficult moment where you're opening up about what's going on. Send that email to me or one of our staff saying, I need help. My marriage needs help. We're in trouble. This is not a place where we're going to act like everything is okay when it's not okay. The statistics are clear. There are some of you in this room are drowning. Bring that to the light. But there may be others of you here today who've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There may be some of you here today that have never, ever stepped out of darkness into light. Maybe some of you today, for the very first time, need to step out of darkness and into light. I'm going to ask our band and our musicians.